Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Well, we're going to continue on in our Advent uh, series. We talked about hope last week, and this morning we're going to continue on. We're talking about love, then joy next week, and then peace the week after that. Kind of the themes of, of uh, Advent, the arrival of Jesus. Uh, also looking back at his arrival. It came 2,000 years ago, looking forward to his arrival. Could be today, could be tomorrow, could be 1,000 years from now. Um, but we are putting our focus and our attention and slowing down and reminding ourselves it's about Jesus. Christmas uh, can be the best of times, and it can be the worst of times. Uh, if, if things are going well, and your family relationships and your friendships are all good, it's really good. If you have issues or loss or anything along the way that you're fighting right now, it can be really challenging as you battle through because of everything is heightened right now. And so it's important that in the middle of it all that we turn our eyes back on to Jesus. It's not about what we have. It's not about what's going on around us, but to remind ourselves and center ourselves around the last song that we, we talked about, there is no rival to Jesus, that nothing can stand against the name of Jesus. And so we're going to put our eyes back on Jesus. Matthew 1, 18 to 25. If you have your Bible, if you have one, uh, there's one on the screen, and you might have one in your pocket that's like that, however it is. Matthew 1, 18 to 25. Are we ready? All right, we're here. Thanks, Lindsay. Lindsay's ready. She's got it. So this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name, give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And when people say uh, that the church doesn't talk about uh, difficult topics, conception, consummation, all the things are there. And I remember reading this when I was 10 or 11 years old and my face going red as I read it. But have you ever experienced the reality of being in the middle of a conversation in earshot of someone else? You're talking with someone and someone over here is kind of hearing it, not intentionally eavesdropping. Uh, and they kind of bust in with a comment into your conversation. Anybody ever have that happen? Often I've experienced this where it's someone giving me fuller details of the story I was telling. I don't know who that might be. Maybe you've experienced that before where someone tries to, hey, it was this, this, this. It wasn't on Monday. It was on Tuesday. It wasn't at 5 o'clock. It was at 5.45. Oh, okay, thank you. Really appreciate that. But it's, or if you're at the movie with someone in my family, a Marvel movie. Marvel movies are like... 
There's a whole thing going on before you ever get to the movie. And I'll be sitting, sitting beside one person in my family, the youngest daughter. And I'm watching the movie. I'm engrossed in that movie that's happening right now. And she says, Dad, do you know that this means that and this guy over there and this person over there? When they said this, it means that and when that happened. And that guy over there with the black shroud, yeah, him, that's his guy. And, and I was like, just let me watch the movie right now. But she wants to give me the backstory. Very, very necessary for some people to have the backstory. And it's, it's helpful at time, at the right time. Can be helpful, though, to have the whole backstory if you're going to really contribute to the conversation. Christmas has a backstory. And sometimes we get dropped into the middle of the story, and we might think we know it because we're, we've been around it maybe all of our life or we're in culture or maybe not. Sometimes it can become so familiar that we forget that it's part of a larger story. It's part of something else that's going on. God's speaking in bigger themes than just there was a little baby in a manger and it was cool and there was three shepherds and nine wise men and uh, I really messed with somebody right there. And some of them were happy and then there was people running and they're like stars in the sky and all that. And we almost can become so familiar with it that we can forget the big theme that God is talking about, the part of the story that we're entering into. It's like we're entering into chapter 7 or episode 7 of a 12-episode Netflix binge that, that some of us do. None of you here, I know. It's just, oh, no, thank you. Another honest one on the second row, so we're good. Uh, but the reality is that sometimes we can forget that Christmas is part of a bigger story. It doesn't begin with the birth of Jesus. That's not the start of the story. It's actually a much bigger story that goes all the way back to creation. And the Bible records about Adam and Eve and how they sinned against God. They had, they had a perfect relationship with God. They sinned against God under the temptation of the, of the enemy the, and who was personified in a serpent in a story. And they, they were in a moment being prepared to be separated from God in fellowship with him. And God in that moment said that in, even though this, this separation right now, there will come a day when I will send a, a savior, a, a son, a seed who will crush the head of the serpent and who will break the power of the, the enemy over, over the people and will start to make a way back for everyone to be reconciled to God. That in this moment that that we come into this story that we just read, it's actually a story that had been going on for thousands of years and continues on today, and we're part of a larger story in it all. And this one Jesus that came, came to reconcile man to God. A world that needed a savior, didn't need a teacher, didn't need an engineer, didn't need a pilot, needed a savior, and Jesus came as the savior. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for the reality of who you are. I pray that our eyes will be open to see things afresh. I pray that our hearts will be encouraged and strengthened. Father, that if there are people in the room or watching online that don't know you or wondering how to find you, Lord Jesus, thank you that you are moving towards them this morning. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. How many of you us have grew up in a small town or a village? Anybody? A few. If you've grown up in a small town, whether it's a small town in Africa, a village, or it's a village in the Philippines or Fiji or Canada, you will know some things about life that 
Number one is there are no secrets in a small town. Everybody knows things before you know them, and they know extra details that are not true, but they seem to know them in the middle of it all. And there was a lady that lived up, and if our house was here, she was up on the hill over there, and she would watch us through her with her binoculars and watch what was happening in our yard. Granted, it was probably entertaining at times with six kids and uh, living in a small town. Uh, we did things, and you've heard me if you've been around here before. To, we led a, uh, one of our ponies through the, from the back door, through the house, out the front door, around came. We've had, we've had uh, uh, fights with horse manure until we're all covered in it, like super fun things like that. And I'm a, now I don't know how I did that because now I would not do that at all. We've had all kinds of things. We were the kids that would throw those lawn darts with the steel up in the air and watch them come down. We're the ones, the reason why the warnings are on some of the packages for their various things. And so in a small town, all kinds of things could happen. In a small town, you had party lines on your phone. What is that? So we could call and there's a, there's a party, not that. A phone would ring and it might ring for three people at the same time, but you knew what your ring was. But if you're quick on the draw, you could pick up when it was not your ring and listen in. And you thought your email could be hacked. Bro, the, the party line let everything move throughout the whole village very, very quickly. In a small town, everyone knows what's what. I was somehow somewhere where I had told, or I was told not to be when I was probably six or seven. My mom had told me very carefully, do not go to this boy's house. And I went brave. Nobody will know. And little did I know that one of the neighbors had seen me go to this place and knew I was not supposed to be there. And by the time I got home, my mother already knew where I had been and what I had done and who I had done it with. And by the time I got home, I received some strong encouragement to obey. We have words for that nowadays, but back then it was called Anyway, we're going to keep going. In small towns, couples and women who had babies out of wedlock were often moving away because of the, constant, of the shame that was placed on people. Judgment was made, stories were told, embellished. You would always be that person. You would always be that one who did that. And it was in that type of environment that we pick up our story today with Joseph. He is a carpenter, and uh, he might have been, we don't really know his age. He was probably a little bit older. Uh, some think he might have been just around 20, and others think he might have been closer to 30. Uh, we don't know much more about him other than that he was a carpenter. He, he marries, or as the custom was at those times, uh, girls got married at even a younger age, 14 and 15 years old, and before you go, who? The reality was is that you might only live to 40 or 50, so if you're going to have children, you needed to get on it. And so that's what was happening in this moment. And even in, in those times, and even in some cultures today, uh, I know I've been to some South Asian, uh, what do you call them, the engagement parties. I think they're called something different than that. But they know how to have a party. 
it's, it's before the wedding, but it's a full-on. I, I remember the first one I went to here in Surrey, and it felt like I was going to a wedding, but it wasn't that. It was celebrating the engagement and the betrothal. And here in this story that we just read that the betrothal was kind of almost like marriage. The ceremony of marriage had not happened yet. The consummation had not happened yet. And if you want to know what that word knows and you're under the age of 14, talk to your parents. I'm not, don't come to me. Uh, but at the betrothal, you had made all the arrangements. You paid the dowry. You might have even had the engagement party. You were committed as if you were married, but you were not yet married. You couldn't, didn't live together. You didn't sleep together. None of that kind of thing. And in the middle of that village moment, in the middle of that culture, in the middle of that time, Joseph was faced with this, you have got to be kidding me moment. Now we read these and we, oh, it's such a nice little story. And it's, but picture yourself if you're Joseph. Mary comes, Joseph, you're not going to believe this. I'm with child. But don't worry. The Holy Spirit overshadowed me. What did you say? I can only imagine what his reaction might have been. You, you, you've got to be kidding. Mary, what are you talking about? We planned this so well. It was going to be awesome. Life. It's going to be great. We're going to have children. It's going to be, you've got to be kidding me. There's got to be some mistake. No, it's the Holy Spirit has overshadowed me and I'm with child. And once he did tell Joseph, he obviously went through a struggle where he vacillated between his love for her, but also his reality of what he would have to live with in the village that he was a part of. Do I doubt her? What's going on here? From the scriptures, we knew that we know that this was an extremely difficult situation for him to find himself in. The struggle would have become more intense as the birth got more and more apparent, or the pregnancy got more and more apparent. Laying there at night, you've got to be kidding. Mary, how could she do this to me? What a story. Why didn't she just tell me who it was? We can sanitize these and make them all like, oh, because we look back. Extremely difficult. What a fantastic story. Please just tell me the truth. Because if he said, if he went along with what she said, he was risking his reputation. He was risking his, potentially his career. He was risking the shame for generations, being one of those people. Very likely, Mary would have been the one who, when they went to draw water from the well, everybody's gathered around drawing water, and then they're chatting away, and then when she would walk up, the, whoop, the chatter stops, and everybody looks at her. So Joseph knew that. And he had to struggle through this, and he had to decide, do I really want to carry this out? Is this, do I really want to make this my burden for the rest of my life? And Matthew 1.19 tells us as he was coming to some conclusions, Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. So he said, I had in mind to divorce her quietly. He could have brought her before the religious leaders and had her punished for what had happened, but he loved her too much to do that. Instead, he decided to divorce her quietly. The betrothal was binding, and he had to go through a formal process to break it. And then Joseph had an encounter with God's perspective. 
What a great reminder for all of us. In moments where you think everything is absolutely impossible, where everything seems to be absolutely, totally messed up and you see no way for it to be fixed or reconciled or, or restored or whatever it might be. But in that moment, in that moment, he had an encounter with the perspective of God. His perspective was, I see this happening with Mary. I know what all the implications of are this, but in the middle of it all, the Bible says that God's ways are not our ways, that his ways are higher than ours. And he, he's working in the middle of chaos. He's working in the middle of situations that seem impossible, that in our eyes look like there's no easy way out for this. There's no way, but he's working in the middle of it, and he has a bigger picture than what we see in that moment. And Joseph reminds me of that. God's perspective is always better. And so when we're tempted to go with the perspective of what we just see with our eyes only without consulting with God to say, God, what is going on in the middle of all this? What's happening in the middle of this situation that I'm facing right now? What do you want to speak to me about in the middle of this so that I don't do something silly based on what's happening around me, but that I actually am led and directed by you because your perspective is different than mine? And God sends an angel to tell Joseph, she's going to have a son and he's going to be savior of the world. Now that is something, again, that might have made him go, you've got to be kidding me. Not only is she saying that she's having a baby by the Holy Spirit, he's going to be the savior of the world. Really? Everything's kind of like, wow. But God was coming in that moment to call Joseph to risk love. It was like God was saying, my love is bigger than this moment of confusion right now. My love and my plan is bigger than the struggle that you're in right now, the betrayal that you feel right now. Come on, take a risk, Joseph. And the whole interaction gives us a unique window into the heart of God for us. Starts, Christmas started with and continues through the power of God's love. It starts with God coming to humanity. He based his decision to come because of love. He desired reconciliation. He desired to come alongside of us to save his people from their sins, to, to come not to teach us a better way only, not to, to help us with our life issues only, but to save us ultimately. The reason why Jesus came, to save us from the penalty of sin, to break the power of sin, and one day to free us from the very presence of sin when we come into eternity with Jesus. And by sending Jesus, his love was coming to turn our history around, to rewrite the story that others might have written for us, to rewrite the story about might, what might have happened because of our upbringing or the experiences of our life. It becomes the hinge point of history that from Jesus onward, life begins to be different. Things begin to be changed by the power of God. People who are far from him begin to find their way to him. And in verse 23, we see this, that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He's not the God of far off. Daniel re referenced that earlier this morning. He's not the God who holds himself in reserve around you. He's not the God who leaves us alone. He's not the God who says, just go figure it out. He is God with us. He's the God with us in our anxiety. 
He's God with us in our addiction. He's God with us in our confusion. He's God with us in our family mess. He's God with us in our fear. He's God with us in our imperfection. He's God with us in our cancer treatment. He's God with us in our family chaos. He's God with us on the surgical waiting list. He's God with us in our sexual confusion. He's God with us in our sin and our brokenness. He's God with us in the pain of our divorce. He's God with us. Do anybody get the picture this morning? He's God with us. He's not God afar off. He came near to us. He's God with us. He's not there just watching and say, figure it out. He's God with you in your financial pressure right now. He's God with you in the middle of the fight to survive right now. He's not God afar off. But the God of history becomes the God of your destiny and begins to change everything because you have an encounter with the living Jesus. Not the God of the book, but the God of, of reality. The, the God of heaven came, died, buried, and rose again. And his great love is towards us to say, I am with you in the middle of it all. The story, the whole story of Jesus coming at Christmas is a reminder of the great love of God. This is the, probably the simplest message, but the most powerful truth that I'll preach this year. The love of God, so rich and pure, so measureless and kind. God's love reaches to you. And when we forget that, we forget so much. God's love reaches towards us. Romans 5 and 8. While we were yet sinners, what happened? Christ died for us. He didn't wait till we were cleaned up. He didn't wait till we've had it figured out. He didn't wait till we had stopped sinning in every area of our life. He didn't wait till we were perfect and had everything in order. But while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Some of us, that was 50 years ago, and we need to remind ourselves, I still need Jesus. Some of us, it was 50 minutes ago, and I need to remind myself, I still need Jesus. But God reached out to me when I wanted to reject him, when I wanted nothing to do with him. Him. And he said, I'm coming for you. I am coming towards you. And I'm reaching to you in the middle of your mess, in the middle of the brokenness and saying, I'm going to reach into the gutter. In fact, I'm going to come down into the gutter of humanity and I'm going to lift you up through the power of my death, burial and resurrection that Jesus is reaching for humanity. See, all of religion is us trying to reach to God and somehow get close to him. But the reality of, the, of being a follower of Jesus is knowing that I could never get close to him. I was never in my own ability able to reconcile to him. So he, by his own initiative of his great love, came to me, came to you, came to your family and changed everything because of his great love in the middle of it all. He cares for you. He sees you. He knows what you're going through. He's not afar off, he's come near. And he's turning our mess into a message. I referenced earlier being somewhere I wasn't supposed to be when I was young. But I kept doing it even though I was strongly encouraged to not. And one time I went to this place where I wasn't supposed to be and got a real revelation of why I wasn't supposed to be there. Because this young man had a fire, I've told this story before, I was sitting on one side of it, he was on the other side, and he threw a bucket of gasoline on the fire. And the fire leapt onto my jacket, caught me on fire, burned off my eyebrows, and my hair was back then, boat burned back to where it is now. <laughs> and I was burned, all like the hair on my arms, eyebrows were burned off, eyelashes, everything. 
jacket, not badly burned, but scared out of my life. And my, one of my oldest, my oldest brother patted all the fire off. What was he doing there? I don't think he got in trouble, but anyway, <laughs> here I was and, and I, I had burns on my skin and it was painful and everything. And I went home and I remember we had a tile floor and I was laying on a floor trying to feel the coolness of it. My parents were away uptown. Uh, that's when everything good happens when your parents are uptown. <laughs> and I heard them coming and I remember being afraid because I had been where I wasn't supposed to be. And I remember my dad coming in the door and I'm standing there in my underwear with burns and hair singed and smell like I've been through everything. And I'm standing there and I'm afraid. And my dad didn't really say anything. He just came up and put his arms around me. That's the love of God. That in the middle of our mess, in the middle of our brokenness, where we were, where we weren't supposed to be, he received us. He reached out for us in that moment. And he can take our mess and turn it into a beautiful message. God's love not only reaches, God's love initiates. We love because he first loved us. He went first. God took the first step towards you and me. And he takes the first step still today towards you and me. We, don't, we can't earn his love. We can't earn his affection. He loves us because he wants to. He moves towards you because he loves you. He, you don't have to have everything all figured out. He's still moving towards you. His love is not conditional. His love is not fickle. His love is not fading. His love does not withdraw when we don't perform. See, most earthly love loves to a point. When you fail me or disappoint me, then very often love is withdrawn. When you don't perform well, then you may not be loved well. And so we have all these earthly loves that cause us to look at God sometimes the same way because that's our experience. But his love does not withdraw when we don't perform. His love does not withdraw when we don't perform. In fact, Hebrews says that I can come boldly before the throne of grace to find help in my time of need. God's already made a way so that I can come towards him through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. God's love not only reaches, it's not only initiating, it's sacrificial. He sacrificed. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Somebody say gave. That whoever believes in him. Whoever. It's a long list. Doesn't matter what cultural background you come from. Doesn't matter what nation you come from. Doesn't matter what your special sin is. Doesn't matter what your issue is. Doesn't matter what your family has done. Doesn't matter if you've been in prison. Doesn't matter if you're still not making it. Doesn't matter if you're struggling with addiction. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. There's an eternity at stake. For God did not send Jesus to condemn the world, but that the world could be saved by him. God came as a savior, not as a condemner. And we need to operate in the same way. That we're here for our world. We're here to see our world changed by the goodness and love of God. We're not here just to point out all the problems. We're here as ambassadors of Jesus to bring a different kingdom, to come with a different heart, to come to say we're here to be reconcilers. reconcilers. We're here to be ambassadors of the kingdom. See, God left heaven for earth. Amen. That's all right. That's okay. I was holding him earlier. He probably just wants to see me again, I think. 
God left heaven for earth. He sacrificed the comfort of heaven. He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. He took upon himself the form of a servant and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that we could be reconciled to God. He suffered betrayal. He suffered rejection. He suffered abandonment. He suffered his best friends leaving him in his time of his greatest need. He suffered his friends saying, I don't know you. He suffered through the pain of the, the torture of death and buried and resurrected for you and for me. His love sacrificed because this is no ordinary love. And sometimes we just say, oh, God loves me, but this love is different. This love breaks addiction. This love destroys shame. This love forgives me in my worst. This love believes the best for me. This love restores my relationship with God. This love restores humanity to one another. This love breaks shame. This love comes close. This love restores families. This love brings the lonely and puts them into family. This love drives out fear. This love changes the destiny of people. This love changes the history of people. This love breaks injustice. Come on, this love frees the captive. This love reconciles us. This love heals the brokenhearted. This love lifts up the discouraged. This love brings us back to life. This love never leaves us. This love never walks out on us. This love never abandons us. This love never quits on us. This love never betrays us. This is the great love of our God. And we can't go through the Christmas season with just saying, oh yeah, God's love and everything like that. That's great that we remind ourselves of the power of the love of our Jesus that took him upon the form of a servant, came down from, her, from heaven to earth and said, I am making a way where there seems to be no way. I'm gonna do for you what you could never do for yourself. I'm gonna come and pay the penalty of your sin and help to literally change everything from the inside out. I pray that we would know the heart and love of the Father towards us, that God's love is pursuing you. You know, when you get, when you've been married for a while, for us it's 30 years. I know it's hard to believe how young I look and everything like that. But sometimes what can happen in a marriage is you just get comfortable and you stop pursuing one another. Because, oh, it's fine. And sometimes I think in our relationship with Jesus, we can do the same thing. We just get comfortable. I'm, I know Jesus. He knows me. We've been together since 1972. It's amazing. Fantastic. Do we still pursue him as he's pursuing us, as he's reaching out to us, as he's initiating this, as he's, he's, he's doing sacrificially for us? Do we return? Do we turn our heart back to him? It's no ordinary love. God cares for you. He is for you. He is fighting on your behalf. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. He's restoring you. He's healing you. His love is greater than any sin done by you. His love can break the power of any sin done against you. That you do not have to be, we do not have to be victims to what has happened in our life. But greater is Jesus who's within us than anything that's in the world. Greater is Jesus to overcome every power of addiction. Greater is Jesus to overcome the things that seem impossible in our own humanity. 
And worship team, you can come. And this love, we couldn't earn it. This love, we couldn't deserve it. This love is overwhelming. The song that we sing sometimes, the overwhelming, never-ending, precious love of God. The love of God. This is not human love. This is a greatest love that changes everything. Maybe you're in the room listening and you're, this is new to you. The idea that Jesus came to save, not to condemn. Maybe you're in Princeton or you're watching online. I know there's a lot of people watching online. I think they're uh, literally in the last couple of weeks with all the sick uh, bugs that are going around. Some people are staying home and we're grateful for the technology that we can do that, continue to minister and connect with you. But wherever we're at, maybe we realize, maybe you're one that would say, I'm not sure I'm right with God. Someone might have invited you here this morning or you've been found us online randomly by a Google search and you realize that maybe I'm not right with God, but Jesus was sent by God to be the savior of the world, not just to be the savior of the world, but to be your savior, to be my savior, to be whosoever savior, whatever label we would put on us, Jesus is the savior. Such great hope, but it's a gift. And we, we, we forget that sometimes, that this great love of God is a gift to us that enables us to be reconciled to him through Jesus. But like any gift, you can get a beautiful gift all wrapped up and you put it on the, on the couch beside you and you look at it and it's a, what beautiful wrapping paper. It's good. Well, that a nice bow. Craig didn't wrap that, obviously. Looks amazing. And you just sit it there. Three weeks later, it's still sitting there. And you're like, your shoes are holy and you don't know what's going on. Like, I need some new shoes. All the while, there's a gift of shoes in there that have been bought for us. And that's the reality of kind of very simple way of looking at the reality of Jesus. That everything we need for life and godliness is found in Jesus. Everything. It's the start of everything. Doesn't mean he's going to give you a new Cadillac and or a new SUV or anything like that. Let him do what he's going to do. He's going to bless your life. He's going to begin to turn things around for you. But it starts with receiving that gift. Say, Jesus, I need you to be the forgiver and leader of my life. If, I, if you're not sure you're right with God, it's as simple as ABC. I acknowledge that I need God. I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus came to pay the penalty for my sin and I can be reconciled to God and I confess God would you be the forgiver and leader of my life I acknowledge I believe and I confess that's all it is you could do that today and begin a journey that changes everything but this is also a great story of seeing how Joseph mirrored the love of God towards Mary even from the outside looking in she didn't seem to deserve it it didn't make sense to him reminds us if we're a Christ follower that we are called to love in the same way. It's Christmas is a reminder of the great love of God. Like Jesus, we are called to build bridges of love with others across troubled waters of disappointment, of hurt, of sin, of brokenness, of rejection, of personal indifference, of offenses, to engage where we are at with the world around us and the people around us because God's love for us compels us to risk 
love for others. The Bible says it this way, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Nothing greater than his love. When we learn to receive his great love, we can be better conduits of his great love. And we can finally love people well when we're secure in the love of God for us. I know it can be tempting to believe it was easy for Joseph because we see the end of the story. But maybe like G Joseph, we might be tempted to reject the person that God says receive. We might be tempted to hold a grudge against someone rather than forgive the offense. We might be tempted to marginalize those with issues or differences. We might be tempted to stay far away from someone that has a different sin than us. We might be tempted to justify our actions of saying, I'm keeping you at arm's length. It's my right. You have hurt me. You have failed me. But as a Christ follower, as Christ followers who receive God's love, we're called to embrace people as difficult as it is at times before we read the end of their story. So in 2022, we are faced with the call to love how God loves. Things like showing God's love to your ex who walked out on you. I don't know what that would look like. Maybe loving your enemy. These are the things of Jesus. Loving and kind to that extended family member. You know who it is. Forgiving the one that hurt. Treating the person of another faith with kindness and dignity. Loving the one that sins differently than me. I invite you to stand. And online, I'm just going to ask us to respond. Maybe you need to have an ABC moment this morning. Acknowledge that you're a sinner. Believe that Jesus came and died and paid the penalty for it. And confess your need for him. Or maybe you need to respond a little differently. You know Jesus. Maybe you need a fresh revelation of God's great love for you. That our heart will be ripped by the love of God for us. Because it changes everything. Or maybe you know that you need to be thinking of someone to share God's love with in a powerful way. Maybe there's someone that you need to reach out to. Maybe to forgive. Maybe to start anew with friendship. Maybe there's someone that you need to initiate with instead of waiting for them to show up for you, that you would show up for them in kindness. Maybe there's someone that you need to sacrifice for. Am I willing to sacrifice being right in order to do right? Grace read this at the beginning of the service. I'm gonna read a portion of it out of Ephesians chapter three. I wanna pray this over us today, whether we're having an ABC moment whether we're receiving afresh the love of God or asking him for that, or we know that we need to be a better conduit of those that are to, of God's love to those that are around us. I invite you to just bow your head as I pray this over you, and then we're gonna close out with a song. I pray that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the fullness of the measure of God. Jesus, may we grasp your love afresh. Lord, I pray that 
you would help us, Lord Jesus, that we would experience your love, that we'd be completely filled with your love, that in the spaces and places that we live and move, that we would be able to be a conduit of your great love that changes everything. For Lord, for those that are having an ABC moment of acknowledging, believing, and confessing their need for you, Jesus, be merciful to us as sinners. We ask that you would come and lead our lives. Be the Lord and leader of my life. If you pray some kind of a prayer like that, you know from your own heart, God, I need you. The Bible says that you pass from death to life. That everything begins to change from the inside out. The great healer becomes to work inside of you. Begins to reorient your life in a new and a better way. The best pathway for your life. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.